Welcome. I'm Eric Fleming, host of A Moment with Eric Fleming, the podcast of our time. I want to personally thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then I need you to do a few things. First, I need subscribers. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash a moment with Eric Fleming. Your subscription allows an independent podcaster like me the freedom to speak truth to power and to expand and improve the show. Second, leave a five-star review for the podcast on the streaming service you listen to it. That will help the podcast tremendously. Third, go to the website, momenteric.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews and comments, listen to past episodes, and even learn a little bit about your host. Lastly, don't keep this a secret like it's your own personal guilty pleasure. Tell someone else about the podcast. Encourage others to listen to the podcast and share the podcast on your social media platforms because it is time to make this moment a movement. Thanks in advance for supporting the podcast of our time. I hope you enjoy this episode as well. Welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And there was a plan today, but it didn't work out. So it's going to be a hot mic episode today. And I do have something to say. I was going to try to condense it to just one half of the show, but now that I can speak freely for the whole show, I'm going to say what I got to say. But before I do that, going to do some housekeeping. So if you've been following the podcast for a while, you've noticed that the music attached to the podcast has changed. And that is because I found this place because it's epidemically sound. And it's a place where you can get music royalty free, where you're not infringing on people's copyrights. They put this out there for the exposure or whatever. And so I'm using music from artists that are on that, that site, on that app. So if y'all are creatives and y'all want to take advantage of that, go check it out. Epidemically sound is the name you can, you know, on your, uh, if you're Android, you Google play, if it's Apple, then go to the Apple store and, um, and check that check that out and see if that's something you want to do. So um I just want to acknowledge these groups or these artists, Amber Spill, Midnight Cycler, Dusty Dex, Blue Topaz, Imprisoned, Crystal Shards, Apollo, and Out to the World. So the music that you hear, those artists provided the music. So hopefully as this podcast continues to grow, their exposure will grow as well. But I wanted to acknowledge them and thank them for that. Uh, even though we've never met, we don't know each other from Adam uh, because they are a part of this uh, app that uh, 
I get to display at least a portion of their music anyway in the uh, in the podcast. Now, that's one thing. The other new thing I'm going to try to incorporate, and hopefully we can keep this going for a while, is a news segment. And again, just trying to tinker with and adjust the flavor of the podcast to make it more entertaining and appealing to you as a listener. And whatever feedback you want to give me, please go to momenteric.com or hit me up on, on the socials and just let me know, you know, what you think about it. Um, if it's cool, if it's not cool, uh, the music that was chosen, um, to to be the new theme music for the podcast was by listeners. So, you know, I'm just trying to do this to make this more pleasant for you. Uh, other than just how we originally started and just going in raw for about 30 minutes and then that's it. Now, I'm, I'm lining up guests. I'm you know, just trying to do different things to, to make this more of a uh, um, good experience for you as a listener, right? And I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm going to make my appeal every week about subscribing to pay, um, Patreon. Uh, you can just give donations if you want to do that. Uh, you know, just whatever you can do, because like I said, I'm going to keep doing it. But as I'm venturing out and trying to bring in new things, a few extra dollars wouldn't hurt. I'm just saying, right? So without further ado, let me introduce my news anchor. Ms. Grace G. Thanks, Eric. The United Auto Workers Union has initiated strikes at factories owned by General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler's parent Stellantis, disrupting production of several popular models. Former President Donald Trump is planning to address union workers in Detroit, Michigan, injecting himself into the dispute and skipping the second Republican presidential debate. The Texas Senate acquitted Attorney General Ken Paxton of all 16 articles of impeachment, allowing him to retain his state office despite ongoing corruption allegations and investigations. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy failed to pass a defense spending bill to prevent a possible partial government shutdown led by opposition from within the Republican Party. The group Students for Fair Admissions, which previously challenged race-based admissions policies, has sued the U.S. Military Academy at West Point for alleged discrimination against white applicants. The Republican-led U.S. House of Representatives is set to hold its first committee hearing on an impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden. The president has denied any wrongdoing. The U.S. Senate has confirmed General Charles Q. Brown as the chairperson of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. 
Brown, a former fighter pilot, will be only the second black officer to chair the Joint Chiefs after Colin Powell. An 84-year-old white Missouri man, Andrew Lester, is scheduled to face trial in October 2024 for the shooting of a black teenager, Ralph Jarl, who mistakenly approached his house. A U.S. appeals court overturned a lower court order that required Mississippi to make changes to its mental health system to avoid unnecessarily institutionalizing people with mental illness. And Joanne Epps, the acting president of Temple University, died unexpectedly on stage during a campus memorial service. I am Grace G, and this has been a Moment of News. Thank you, Grace. And this is going to be a cool addition to the podcast. This is this is going to be lit. I love it. All right. So you heard some of the news stories. The, the one I want to focus in on that um, is playing a real theme with where we are in the country right now is the the Republicans, the, the MAGA Republicans in the House, in the U.S. House of Representatives, have voted against an $886 billion spending bill. Now, here's, well, let me just finish that thought. So they voted against that bill and it was like the Senate was going to change it anyway once it got over there. But, you know, the purpose was to avert a shutdown. The the government is about to shut down again at the end of the month because October 1st is the start of the federal fiscal year. And this spending resolution um, dealing with the Department of Defense and there's some other things in there. They, they want to get that done, right, um, to avoid a partial shutdown. And these folks are holding the line or whatever. Now, these are the same folks that were upset that McCarthy was able to negotiate with Biden to avert a previous shutdown, right? So now they they want to flex, and you know they basically shut them down twice in a week. But one of the carrots that the speaker threw out there for them to vote for it was to allow them to start an impeachment inquiry on President Biden. Now, nobody knows why they're doing it. Supposedly, it's got something to do with his son, Hunter. Um, but nobody's, you know, everybody's been kind of digging. And there's even a special prosecutor that's involved out of the state of Delaware that 
hasn't made any connections with the president, whether he was, whether it was during the time he was vice president or currently now with anything that Hunter is doing other than just being his dad and probably not a happy dad, but you know, he's, this is his son. He's, he's going to stick up for his son no matter how flawed he is. Right. That's what dads do. And so, you know, they, they, he gave him that to try to go ahead and get this shutdown averted and no, they're not going to do it. As a matter of fact, they want to start the hearing the day that the government is going to shut down. <laughs> so I think you understand what direction I'm getting ready to go. Right. I think, you know, people who vote Republican or have been voting Republican for years, I don't care white, black, Asian, Latino, whatever. I think you really need to to look at what you are voting for. And I mean that as sincere as I possibly can. Now, there's a lot of people out here in this space, especially those podcasters of color that deal with political commentary, who don't really have a whole lot of faith in you, who don't really want to be around you even. And I'm talking to you, Republicans, especially the white ones. But all of them, really. They don't want to, they don't really trust you, right? Because Congress, especially the House of Representatives, is supposed to be reflective of the people that send them there. And I have said on this very podcast, there's no reason for me to go to Rome, Georgia for anything. Because Marjorie Taylor Greene is there representative in Congress. Now, if I have to stop and get for gas or something, okay, whatever. But I remember there was, there's a restaurant up there and some black couple stopped in just to grab something to eat and the white folks looked at them like, are you lost? Did you make a wrong turn? Are you, are you sure this is the restaurant you want to order food from? And that couple videotaped it and it's, you know, it's on, it's on social media. On TikTok, all that stuff. But, you know, it's just kind of the mindset. And they say it's a beautiful place. You got Berry College and all that stuff. But, you know, I watched that 60 Minutes interview. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. I watched it with Marjorie Taylor Greene and watched how these people were literally hugging her. Now, you know, I don't expect people to be mean and distant and cold, but it's, yeah. And there were some people hugging her that it's like, there's no way she is voting in your best interest, not unless you don't understand what her agenda is, right? You know, I literally saw somebody from the LGBTQ community hugging this woman. And I was surprised that she hugged them back. And I don't think that 
she's aware that he's a member of the community, and I don't think he's aware of the policies that she supports. Now, there are log cabin Republicans out there, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She She's trying to really wipe you out. She doesn't want you to be married. She doesn't really want you to exist, especially don't want her children or her neighbor's children or her constituents' children reading anything about your lifestyle. But you're hugging her out in the street. I mean, that's you. That's what you want to do. That's fine. That's why I wanted to watch it. See, some people, I don't want to see all that crap. You know, I know what they are and all that. No, you got you to gotta see where your enemy is. You got to see people that you think that you can trust you need to see them exposed, right? So, you know, I just, I watched it. And it confirmed that there's no reason for me to go up there. There's no reason for me to run up there. And I appreciate the people that do get out there and try to run and all that stuff. But, I mean, there's there's nothing there for me because they have shown me even the judicial system up there. Because there was a couple, there was some people up there that said, yeah, well, you were kind of involved in that January 6th thing, so maybe you shouldn't run. They actually, this 14th Amendment thing that they're trying to use on Trump, they tried it on Marjorie Taylor Greene last election. And a judge heard the case, but didn't take her off the ballot, felt that there wasn't enough, quote unquote, evidence to prove that she was a loyalist to insurrectionists. Because that section says, you know, then you don't necessarily have to be the one doing the insurrection. All you have to do is provide aid and comfort. And it seems to me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, she's been providing aid and comfort. When she went to the jail, <coughs> excuse me, in D.C. and started complaining about the conditions of the jail in D.C. because of these people that were being held who participated in January 6th. Now, granted, they've been there a long time, but nonetheless, she started complaining about that. Well, that's providing aid and comfort. You're speaking out on their behalf. You went down to the jail and brought some other of your colleagues down there and y'all were singing to them. Or singing with them, even. I mean, that's aid and comfort. But, judge kind of felt, nah, not really. So she got on the ballot, and then she won. And she won by a big margin. It's not a swing district in Georgia. It's just, it's just on the outside of, they still consider it part of the Atlanta metropolitan area as far as for statistical purposes, the MSA, all that. It's far from Atlanta as you could possibly be as far as mindset and all that stuff, right? Because if it was a district that was, you know, like maybe in Gwinnett County or Cobb, well, there's a, piece of cob in there um, 
you know, but I mean, it was more kind of a northern. Well, I shouldn't say northern because it is in the north. Northeastern, I guess. If you understand the geography of Georgia, it was kind of like, you know, right around the perimeter area. I think it would have been a closer race. I don't think her rhetoric would be as crazy. But even if it was, it would be a closer race because there are some Republican strongholds in the metro Atlanta area, right? Uh, the state legislature created one because I live in it, <laughs> right? And so, you know, it. but it wouldn't have been a blowout, you know? And so I think that the people who vote Republican, if you, I, I, I don't think you understand that supporting Republicans now is a patriotic thing. I think you going to vote is patriotic. I think you're fulfilling your civic duty. But who you're voting for is not in your best interest. Not unless your best interest is living in an authoritarian state and living in chaos. and electing people to govern that don't govern. They obviously are auditioning for some kind of reality show that they want going on at the state capitol, or U.S. capitol, I'm sorry. But there's some at the local level with this different state capitals too, and I'll get to them in a minute. But it just, it does not, that, that when when I hear people say that they're conservative or Republican and they say that they're concerned about X, Y, and Z issue, they're saying, well, gas is high. Yeah, we had a period of inflation right after we came out of a pandemic, right? And so stuff that you couldn't get, stuff you didn't have access to, y'all started buying it. Well, that raised prices because business people are trying to make money off you. That's what they do. But now things have kind of stabilized. I mean, there was, you know, we didn't know how this war in Ukraine was going to go, all that stuff. So there were a lot of factors. And we actually had an economist on here to explain that to people. Um. Nonetheless, you're upset. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene goes on Twitter and says, well, you know, 2020 gas was $1.57. Who was driving other than essential workers? Who was driving in 2020? It was, we were in lockdown. You know, prices drop because they're trying to get that gas out. Once people started getting out and buying gas, well, gas shot up. And now it's stabilized. About three thirty, three fifty a gallon. Still nothing like when I was in college and it was a dollar, right? And even then there were some folks saying, Oh, I remember when gas was, was twenty cents. Yeah, I wasn't alive then. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't 
was even thought of when it was that low. But you know, the, these, these false comparisons. And they said, well, we need to get somebody in there. Well, here, here's the question I have for these Republicans to say, well, we need to get somebody in there. What are y'all doing? Y'all elected officials that are out there. What are y'all doing to try to lower gas? What are you, the prices? What are you trying to do to ease the burden of health care for the people that you represent? Right? What are you doing to try to make sure that senior citizens have a better quality of life? What are you trying to do to address any of the problems that your constituents come to? Now, if you know anything about constituent services with an elected official, especially a member with Congress, if you call a congressman or a senator and say, hey, I've got this problem, and it's usually something related to the federal government, right? Like if I'm a VA, you know, a veteran, and I'm trying to get the VA to, you know, make sure my disability is at 100 or, you know, I'm having problems getting service at the hospital or whatever, uh, you know, I, you know, I've got some issues as far as what's going on with student loans, whatever, right? Anything that's federally related, you know, especially like when we have a natural disaster, right? And you need FEMA to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that's usually when people call the congressional office, the person that is designated for constituent services, because they'll have some based on how that district is set up strictly to deal with veterans. Or they'll have somebody strictly to deal with TANF and EBT cards, right? It just all depends on how that district is made up. And they'll have a constituent person to deal strictly with that. And then you have maybe another staff or so that'll deal with general stuff. They won't have a whole lot of people in the district office. But, you know, you can call the folks in Washington if you got the number and uh, call the office there and they'll process this and get it done. Members of Congress has been, have been doing this for generations, right? So individually, you may be privy to call your congressional person, either your senator or your representative, and say, hey, I need this help. And that office will make a couple of phone calls and make it happen. I know how it works because as a state representative, I was able to do that. I had access to numbers. Even as a civilian, I've had access to numbers and say, hey, I need X, Y, and Z done. Can this happen? And these folks will accommodate you. But if you're a congressperson, right, if you're a member of the Senate or the House, it moves even faster because it's like, ooh, this congressman or this senator is involved. So we've got to do what needs to be done. That's part of governing. Right. And and maybe these folks have that part down and maybe that's why folks say, oh, these are good people because they took care of my situation and yada, yada, yada. OK. I can get that. 
but it's more than just an individual deal. This is a collective deal. See, there's this provision in the Constitution of the, of the United States, in the very first paragraph, the preamble, we call it, where there's a commitment to promote the general welfare. That doesn't, that's not just you, you and your house. It's the whole nation when we say the general welfare, the community that is called the United States of America. These folks are supposed to be handling something that will benefit the whole nation, not just a select few or a particular individual, right? So individually, if you've got something done, great. But what has this person done to benefit the nation? And I make the case that they've done the total opposite, that they have done whatever is possible <laughs> to harm the nation, to divide the nation, to, to put us on a path where the democracy, the democratic republic, you break it down for those folks that still make that stupid argument, oh, this is a republic, this is not a democracy. It's a democratic republic. I, I talked about this before. These folks are endangering whatever you want to call it. They're not contributing positively, right? They've got this elementary school mindset about how to deal with people that don't agree with them politically. Well, you impeached our guys, so we're going to impeach yours. What? That's not how that works. And no president, regardless of which party initiated the impeachment, has been able to successfully remove a president. Need I remind you? The closest was Andrew Johnson. I think they would have got Nixon if he didn't resign. And it was just pure double, double talk why they didn't remove Trump. But there was evidence when you call a foreign leader who now you don't trust, right? Now you don't want to support this particular foreign leader. Let's, let's keep it together. Donald Trump felt comfortable enough to call this particular foreign leader and ask him to find dirt on his political opponent, right? And if you do, I will make sure that you will get the weapons that you need, right? Well, that foreign leader didn't do it. So now the country that he was trying to protect himself from decided to invade his nation. And so now he's coming with this new president and saying, hey, I need help. I need this. And this president is like, yes, <laughs> you know, we'll do what we can. But now the same people who supported the previous president who wanted to use this guy to bribe this guy even extort him whatever you want to phrase it right 
now they're saying they can't trust him. Well, no, you can't trust him because he wouldn't do your dirt for you. That's all this is about. Is this not about, oh, well, you know, he's, you know, the Ukrainians are corrupt and we can't trust the money. If you didn't know who I was talking about, it's President Zelensky from Ukraine, right? No, we can't trust him. And, and uh, you know, they've got this history and all that. He doesn't have the history. He won because of the history. He won the election because the people didn't want anybody corrupt anymore. And so they voted for him. And he is a national hero. Just on the fact that he's not corrupt, let alone that another country, Russia, has invaded his nation. And he has been in the forefront standing. Everybody's like, well, you know, he doesn't wear a suit and tie. He's a soldier at this particular point. That's his mindset. So he dresses like a soldier in Ukraine. That's what they wear when they're out in the battle. The only thing he's not wearing is the flak jackets and the, you know, the armor and the, and the, and the battle helmet. He's not wearing that when he's meeting with other state leaders, but he's basically taking it off and just wearing a basically BDU say, okay, I need some money, I need some weapons, appreciate y'all's time, and he's back in his country fighting. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give him a pass on the dress code. Right? But looking at some of y'all in some videos that have been released, I don't think y'all should be talking about dress codes, but that's a whole nother deal. Right? That'll eventually get to if not on this podcast, eventually. But this 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 elementary school mindset. Well, you did it to my guys, so I'm gonna do it to yours. Right? But here's the problem. My guy hasn't done anything to be impeached for. All he has done is do his job. He has successfully pushed through legislation. He has successfully negotiated terms so the government wouldn't shut down. He has been outspoken about things that he feels are a threat to the general welfare of the nation. And he's been a cheerleader for America. And he has basically shown the world that yeah, I know there's some stuff going on. I know y'all be reading stuff. We, we're okay. He's been reassuring the nation. That it's like, oh, we have an adult in the room again. Right? So he's just doing his job. But there's some folks that are like, they don't comprehend that. That's not their mindset. Their mindset is, ooh, He's, he's one of them, so we just got to take him out, regardless of what he's doing. He personally could have helped some of these people. He's been a U.S. senator forever, and then he was a vice president for eight years, and now he's been the president. And Joe Biden has probably helped a lot of people related to the people that are currently in the room serving in the United States Congress. He's probably helped some colleagues along the way. 
get some things done that they needed done. Right? But now, and on both sides of the aisle, and now, but now, these folks, oh, no, well, you know. And it started kind of with Clinton, but they really went overboard with Obama. It's like, well, hey, man, we're going to give you, because the poverty level in your state is high, so we're going to give you a little extra money to help these folks get health care. And these folks are like, well, no, we're not going to take it. Screw them and screw you. And that's the mindset they got with Biden. Never mind that the people that they represent need the help. Because they don't like the person offering the help. They won't take it. That's not governing. That's pettiness. That's insanity. Especially if you're in a state like Mississippi, which is the poorest state in the nation. If you're a Republican in New Mexico and you don't like Joe Biden, get over it. Because your state is poor. Right? You, you need to understand that the political part of it, as far as the campaigning, is for a season. If you are one of the fortunate 535 people to actually sit in the U.S. Capitol building to work, you can have philosophical differences, right? And you could negotiate based on those philosophical differences, but pettiness is not a philosophical difference. Pettiness is stupidity. It's immaturity. And that's what we're dealing with, with these people. And so the question I have for people that say, well, I'm going to vote Republican. Why? Don't tell me stuff about William F. Buckley and Barry Goldwater and all that stuff, whether I agree with them or not. They were conservatives at a mature level, right? Don't talk to me about that because that's not what this group of folks is doing. They're not standing on those principles. The majority of them are not even close. They couldn't even tell you who Goldwater or Buckley are they they couldn't identify they couldn't find their picture they they can't tell you a book that they read that they've written nothing most of these folks don't even know that the national review that they break their necks to try to get some kind of soundbite in was started by buckley they don't know that nor do they care all they care about was is does the national review have a website Do you have a microphone? Do you have a camera? They're not about philosophy. So the question again to you Republicans without bringing out the nostalgia book is looking at the current group that represents your party right now. Why are you down with that? We'll finish this discussion on the other side.
And we are back. So, again, I would like to have the answer to that question. What are you voting for if you're a Republican now? I think you're voting for the pettiness. I think you're voting for the misogyny. I think you're voting for the racism. I think you're voting for the hate. I think you're voting for the dysfunction. Because you can't tell me that you're voting for fiscal responsibility and other conservative talking points, right? But you, you know, you can talk about the social stuff. But, you know, we've been having this debate for a long time when there were actually some relatively sane people in Congress on both sides. And, you know, it's one of my friends used to say, government is not about Starbucks conversations. Right. Do you want to have a debate about who should have an abortion or what would be the motivation to do that? Or, you know, why would somebody want to be gay or, or live that kind of a lifestyle? You can have those discussions at your local Starbucks or your local diner. If you're one of those small towns that don't have a Starbucks, right? Like that restaurant those black folks try to go to in Rome. Um, but in the halls of Congress, that's none of your business. <laughs> in the halls of the state legislature, it's really none of your business, right? There's some moments when those issues overlap into the discussion of the general welfare, but as far as like telling people they can't have access to something because of something that either they chose or chose them, right? All depends on your perspective on it. Um, we, we shouldn't be discriminating against people about who they love. We shouldn't be outlawing people who assist other folks in making a decision for their life, right? So in the state of Alabama, for example, they basically outlawed abor abortion once the Supreme Court came through with the Dobbs decision, which says, everybody go for what you know, each state. Y'all handle that when you talk, it comes to abortion. There's no right to privacy protection, none of that. It's just go for what you know. Women don't have a choice anymore. Go for what you know. Not federally protected anyway. So Alabama is one of those states that was like, yeah, we're going to shut that down. So there are women who are like, well, I don't want to be forced to have a child. I still like living in Alabama, but I'm not ready to have a baby. So I'm going to go to Illinois. It's a long trip, but. You know, my cousin knows somebody in Illinois that could take care of that for me. So 
and your, and her cousin is in Alabama, right? So this Alabama law now so basically says that if that woman goes on that trip, her cousin, because she arranged for that procedure to happen in the estate, can go to jail. That cousin can go to jail for assisting her cousin. Who in the hell gave you that right to do that? There's nothing constitutional about that at all. Nothing. That's an in total infringement. Okay, let's flip it on something that really, really sticks to y'all, right? Okay. Um, let's flip the states. Let's say there's a brother in Chicago. It's like, hey, man, uh, I'm really like, you know, want this, this, this desert eagle, right? And uh, for those of you who don't know, desert eagle is a gun. <laughs> uh, I want this desert eagle. And, but in Illinois, I can't have it. That's not true, by the way. This is just an example. But Illinois law says I can't have this desert eagle. You know, there's nowhere I can buy it. And so this dude's cousin says, hey, man, <laughs> I know somebody in Huntsville, Alabama, that not only has that desert eagle, but has several of them. And he'll sell it to you for a good price. Right? Just go on down there and get it. You know, I'll call him, tell him you're coming, just go on down. You know? So that cousin goes down to Alabama to buy that desert eagle. But what if the Illinois legislature had passed a law that said, well, you know, your cousin is going to jail because we've made a law that says that if you aid somebody into purchasing a weapon, right? If you aid them in doing that, then this particular weapon that we have banned sale of, if you help them buy that in another state, then we're going to put your cousin in jail. We're going to put the cousin in jail. You Second Amendment NRA fanatics would lose your mind. You would absolutely go batshit crazy if that actually happened. You would be marching in Springfield, Illinois. Y'all would be doing like <laughs> Joshua Jericho, just going around the Capitol in a circle. For them to even entertain it, let alone pass it, you would lose your mind. But you think it's okay to put somebody in jail that's trying to help their friend make a life decision? You think that's okay? See, things work both ways. That's not pettiness, that's fairness. That's common sense. We don't want to deal with that. Now, in real life, 
you know, if oh boy in the gun scenario was a felon, uh, yeah, you think felon can't have a gun and you really ain't supposed to be helping somebody break the law. So technically that kind of exists. But if this guy wasn't a felon, it would be unconstitutional to put his friend in jail for telling him, hey, you can buy this gun in another state. Right? So, if we agree that that's unconstitutional and all you Second Amendment folks will be, yes, then what makes you think it's constitutional to arrest somebody's friend who's trying to help make a life decision? Right? Because when somebody is choosing not to have a child, that's a life decision. And we make life decisions every day, right? Now, I'm not going to drive over there because last time I went over there, my car got stolen. That's a life decision. You want to outlaw that? No, I'm not going to that restaurant because the last time I went to that restaurant, I had food poisoning. It's a life decision. You want to outlaw that? We make life decisions every day. Every day. Almost every minute of the day, even. So, it's really insane to start going down that road and saying, well, we want to outlaw this particular life decision and outlaw that below. And, and then punish the people that help you make that life decision. No, that's stupid, let alone unconstitutional. But there's a segment of the American population, of the American electorate that elects people who make those type of decisions. Which means to me that if you were given that opportunity, you would do the same thing. Because it's supposed to be representative government. But the question I have is why? Why do you care? Right? You had some senators in Arkansas, I understand, decide that they were going to get a blowtorch <laughs> and burn books in a box. Saying, well, you know, we're trying to send the message that we don't want our children to be corrupted. Right? So parental responsibility is totally out the window. Right? Case in point. So I used to do abstinence education. I did. And one of the things that we would do when we would go into a school is like the first day, we would tell the kids, hey, we're going to be showing some videos that might make you uncomfortable. So here's a permission slip. And we want your parents to read it and sign off on it. If you bring that back to us, then you can watch the video. If you don't bring that back or your parents say no, then you'll be excused for that moment. You know, if not for the entire presentation, whether it's for a week or 
couple of, a day or whatever. You know, because there were some places where we had to come like every day for a week. <sighs> you know. And we actually had one kid who the parents, I guess, signed it and then they saw the video and they were like, oh, you know, they they <laughs> were uncomfortable. And then they told the parents, it's like, well, we didn't know you. It's on the permission slip. We basically said this was going to happen. You know. But we gave people an out. Said if you don't want to be a part of that, so if you don't want your child reading a particular book they don't have to read it you tell them man no you ain't ready for that parents used to do that all the time when I was growing up no you can't watch that no you can't stay up past 10 to watch Monty Python or Johnny Carson or none of that stuff no you can't do it no you can't watch HBO Parents used to set ground rules. No, you can't listen to this certain type of music. No, you can't dress that way. My dad got mad at me because I wore a tie to school one day and it wasn't a special program. Y'all not in business. Y'all y'all just students. What are you wearing ties for? It was part of fashion back then. My dad tripped on it. You know, what was I going to do? I'm going to wear the tie. Well, I don't care. You know, I've been homeless. <laughs> If not homeless and beat up, right? <laughs> Whooped. You know what I'm saying? It's like parents have this incredible power over their children. It's like, no, you can't do that. Or yes, you can do that. Right? But that's an individual life decision. That's a responsibility. And I don't think even though these people literally controlled human beings, right? I don't think they looked at society and said, yeah, we really want to create a country where we're telling folks how they're going to dress, who they're going to date, when and where they can have babies. You know, now they were doing that to the black people that they enslaved, but the white folks that, you know, they interacted with. And it was all male, by the way. They they weren't even thinking like that. So what has happened nearly 250 years later that this is this is the way we should govern? No. Roger Williams tried that years ago in Rhode Island. Didn't work. People ran the Mormons clear across the country because they didn't want them trying to instill that into their communities, right? People made decisions. These things don't work when you try to control folks because human beings are wired to be individuals, to have their own free will, to have a mind of their own, and to make decisions. And the best way to help them make valuable decisions is to educate them. Now, if you want to control them, don't educate them. Make sure that they don't study history. Make sure that they only get a certain amount of mathematics. Make sure they don't understand music or art. 
debunk science, right? If you want to control people, that's what you do. You devalue education. Then you basically say that the press is lying, right? You burn books and you ban books and you ban newspapers and you ban magazines. And the next thing you know, the only thing you can read is something that is state controlled. And folks are like, well, that'll never happen here. They're trying. The very folks that you, white Republican folks and other Republicans of color, <laughs> the very folks you're voting for are doing exactly that. And again, I still envy the power of white people to a degree. And here's what I mean. One woman called Fox and said, don't run this commercial. And they stopped running it. Two women went to a school board meeting recently and said, ban this book. And it's banned. Black folks, you got to get the whole auditorium full. We got to surround the building. We got to march down the street. We got to talk on our podcasts and our TV shows and our radio programs. We got to do all this stuff. And then maybe you consider it. <laughs> maybe you consider it's like, okay, we'll give them what we want. Right? People literally had to die for us to get the right to vote. That was already constitutionally given to us. <laughs> right? But one person can call in and say, hey, don't don't run that ad. Don't don't put that book on the bookshelf. And it's done. So yeah, I'm a little envious of that. I wish I could do that. Let me just call them and say, now, you know that Mein Kampf book? Yeah, don't 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 put that in the children's library. High school is fine. Because hopefully there's a teacher explaining to them what that book is. But elementary school, nah. And they would take the book off. And I'd be like, oh, wow. But that's not going to happen. Because that's not how it works. And then people say, well, there's no racism. There's no white supremacy. There's no hierarchy. There's no preference. There's no privilege. And these are people of color saying it. Vivek Ramaswamy. Yes, I'm learning how to say the man's name. Uh, Tim Scott. Anybody else you want to try out there of color to speak that talking point? I say the Bears are a good football team. I believe it. I'm a fan. The Chicago Bears, these are perfect. This is a good football team. But what we see on the field ain't true, right? <laughs> right? So just because I say that, the reality is that's not true. And that's the same with these people of color saying that there's no racism, right? So they're not helping. But what also is not helping is you as white Republicans saying that you're voting for issues when it seems like you have an issue with anybody who is not of the same mind meld as you. And you have elevated a professional con man 
to almost godlike status as far as like, well, if you impeach him, uh, we'll, uh, uh, we're going to run somebody. If you vote to impeach him, we're going to run somebody against you in the primary. What? You're going to run off somebody that may be actually doing something, maybe actually governing, maybe actually representing your interests because he feels that this dude did something illegal, immoral, and wrong. <laughs> oh, we're going to primary you. I just wish those elected officials would look at you and say, knock yourself out. Because when I make my case, I'm going to get reelected. You want to go to jail with this dude if you want to go down that river to knock yourself out you want to waste your money putting somebody up against me go for it I mean incumbents do lose I can speak to that right but why not go out like Liz Cheney instead of trying to stay in and look like Lindsey Graham right I mean, there was nothing Donald Trump could have said to me once he put my personal phone number out there, knowing the crazies that he was attracting. And now these crazy people have my phone number. Once I did that commercial, if I was in Lindsey Graham, if once I did the commercial and showing my phone being destroyed, meaning you can't use that number, that had been the last time I've ever talked to him for anything. Even if he was the president, there would be nothing Nothing that he could talk to me about. Now, I may vote on the issue, right? If you send somebody in and say, hey, well, Senator, I need you to vote for this. Okay. But he couldn't talk to me about nothing. Nothing. And they say, well, Fleming, isn't that petty? No, that's personal. <laughs> you tried to attack me. You tried to sick your dogs on me. And all I did was run against you. No, that's not petty. Because petty would be that no matter what he did, if there was something that would help my constituents and I voted against it because it was his idea, that would be petty. I may even vote for him if he was of the same party of mine. And he was doing some things that I felt was okay. But I wouldn't be endorsing him for anything. I wouldn't talk to him. Right? So I get Lindsey Graham saying, okay, well, he's a Republican nominee. I got to go for that. But, you know, but then the insurrection happened. And he got on the floor of the Senate and he said, oh, I'm done. Count me out. Exactly what he said. Count me out. Next thing you know, he's calling the Secretary of State in Georgia trying to see if there's 11,000 votes available. Can you, in his case, he was trying to see are there some votes that we can throw out? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been making that call. Not for somebody that tried to get me killed. There's a Everybody has a line. This, that's not a game. 
But in this world that we're in now, where there are no heroes, well, there are some heroes, but they're not in elected positions. Not a whole lot of them. You know, and especially on that side of the aisle, right? We have one, but they ran off. Now, I, me and Liz Cheney don't agree on nothing, <laughs> except this nation is bigger than the both of us. And our job is to make sure that regardless of our philosophy, we keep moving this nation forward. But when you adopt policies that are really, really trying to show regression instead of progression, when you adopt policies that try to suppress and oppress people, that's there's no political party that should be welcome in. And I and I heard some historians say, you know, yeah, the the people that think like that are going to exist. But there's no obligation for us to put them in political power. So again, the question, why? Because it's, I mean, what a sham it is, right? It, it is an incredible sham to say that you are for America and you are doing the exact same things that your grandfather and great-grandfather had to fight against as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. You're sending them off to Europe. Sending them off into the Pacific to fight people that were down with fascism, that down with control, that was down with suppression, that wanted to take over the freaking world. Especially this nation. Right? I mean, we even fought them off in Africa. <laughs> we went to Africa and fought these people. 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old white boys. We're going to Africa to fight the Nazis. And now, your generation thinks that fascism is okay. And there's no way around it. You can play word salad. You can be in denial. It is what it is because we defined it. We, America, defined it. This is what fascism looks like when we were pointing. This is what authoritarian, authoritarianism looks like while we were pointing. And we've been having little labs. This is apartheid. This is what it looks like. And we've been having these little labs in the United States all these years. Right? So we knew what we were pointing at because we were kind of tinkering with it. But history showed that eventually people got tired of that and challenged it and shut it down, even to the point where we had to fight each other, literally, with guns. We had to shut it down. 
And so now these folks are saying, oh, we want a civil war. Look, when the actual civil war happened, nobody wanted it. <laughs> there were, there were, you know, people were talking about secession, maybe, and trying to create their own country, but they weren't trying to say, oh, we're going to fight over it. Now, they knew inevitably that probably would happen. But that wasn't their desire. They weren't going, oh, well, we're, no, we want a civil war. No, nobody was saying that. Not the masses of people anyway. But now we got people comfortable saying that's what we want. These are people that, outside of target practice, they ain't shot, they shot maybe a deer, but they ain't shot a person. Nor have they been shot at. It's one thing to say, oh, I got my gun and I'm I'm a badass and all that. Get shot at. See how much of a badass you are. I'm just saying. You know, these are people that have, were so glad that the draft didn't happen, where they didn't have to serve in the military, but now they want to start a civil war? Really? That's a sham. All of this is is a is a con. It is and and all I'm all I'm trying to find out is why are there Americans going for it in mass numbers? Why? What is it about your life? What is it about your life experience that makes you think that this is okay? Now, when when you did go to school, they kind of told you in social studies that wasn't cool. At least when they were talking about the history of World War II, I kind of broke it down to you, but I don't understand what the disconnect is between what you read about and saw in Europe in the 1930s and 40s and what's happening in your very own backyard. And you were indoctrinated to hate that but now somehow you've been reprogrammed to say it's okay why when I get people to legit legitimately answer that question or at least attempt to then maybe being hopeful maybe that might start a conversation that a start is going in the right path. And maybe just maybe if enough Americans say, you know what, that's a bridge too far. Then those politicians who want to stay in office. will stop being so reckless. Or they'll just be removed. Right. And we can get back to having normal political debates and normal political arguments at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. If, if you are concerned that democracy is going to die, do something about it. All right. As long as I'm breathing, democracy's not going to die. And I'm just a little old dude that's got a podcast. And every American 
to really adopt that philosophy. As long as you're breathing, democracy is not going to die. And I guarantee you, if the overwhelming majority of Americans, not just 51%, the overwhelming majority of Americans adopted that philosophy, this stuff will go away. And we can start working toward the America that has been the dream, the America that has been the vision. We could literally be that city on a hill. It could happen. And everybody can benefit and everybody can live an abundant life. That can happen. But if you keep looking at this as a as a form of entertainment, if you keep looking at politics as a game, if you keep looking at politics in a petty mindset, we're not going to get there. Eventually, those of us that believe in public service being the highest aim of mankind, we're going to win and we're going to move y'all to the side. But it sure would be a lot better if you bought in. Until next time.